0: Like there's not many places in my life where I look back and say, "What if I didn't?" That is one that I look back and say, "Man, what if I didn't? If I didn't lean into that, like weirdly, way less pay, <laughs> worse hours, having to get a clearance job because uh, I don't know what would have happened and uh, you know elsewise."
1: I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on small shifts that can make epic differences in our lives and at work. I'm uh, I'm I'm excited, and I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be honest. I'm not just excited. This is like going to be. I haven't even done the interview yet, and I'm telling you, I'm going to be excited. Like like I'm almost even just tearing up before I've done the interview because this is a really special interview for me, and uh, that'll be the first time I've I'm going to say that um, because I get to interview someone who I have traveled the world with, um, literally. Um, He's not just a guest. He's a very, very dear friend of mine and someone I admire and um, am so absolutely um, excited to have on the show. Um, It's funny because we joke a lot. We have a lot of humor between each other. And here I am being totally serious. So this is going to be hard for me to actually... Be serious on this show when we have like all we have is humor, actually, more more times than not. So, uh, this will be a fun show to see how that shows up. And his name is, uh, Brian Fanzo. That's spelled B R Y. No, I'm kidding. It's B R I, actually. We, that's part of the joking. It's, you can't it, yeah, mine's with a Y, his is with an I. We'll, well, I'm sure that'll pop up and we'll get to it. It's Brian Fanzo, Brian with an I. Fanzo is, he's a digital futurist keynote speaker who translates the trends of tomorrow. To inspire and change today. And that's exactly what he does. I can tell you that. Um, he's, he's an early adopter. He takes on new things and he, um, turns right around and he pitches it to you. Uh, if you, if you were to ask me, that's actually his superpower. Uh, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna learn something. Um, he's already learned it before you even knew it was out. He, he saw it. He learned it. And he's going to teach it to you. And if you want to just check in with him, he'll tell you exactly where to find it, what it does, and how to do it. Um, and he's not doing it to hold back. He's not doing it to to do anything other than to make sure that um, that he fulfills his passion, and that's that's to teach and educate. Uh, that's who he is. He's a teacher and an educator. Um, he he's customized and personalized programs, showcased real world stories and examples of forward-thinking people and businesses. And if you watch his keynotes or watch any of what he does, he takes things and he just looks at things in a different perspective um, and then presents it in a different perspective. For instance, um, you know, nowadays you look at a PowerPoint presentation and you think PowerPoint, but what if you were to take a PowerPoint presentation and make it in three-dimensional four-dimensional. God, eventually one day, 10-dimensional. I don't even know what's going to happen. But but he'll find a way. Um Brian has a gift for bringing people together online and offline. If you ever met somebody who loves community, he is community. He doesn't need a community, and he builds community. He doesn't have a group on Facebook, and he is a community unto himself. Uh, and and so if you know Brian, uh, go follow him. If you don't know Brian, well, you've been living under a rock because he's traveled the world in 76 countries. He's high, He's been highlighting his passion for change and collaboration and technology. And prior to speaking, he worked for nine years at the Department of Defense where he managed a global team that deployed collaboration and cybersecurity solutions. My God, they gave him a security card. Who does that? If you know Brian the way that I have and when we've traveled together, I when he told me that, I'm like, they gave you a security card? My God, thank God he's on mute right now. He then pursued his dream job as a technology evangelist for booming cloud computing startup, helping companies embrace the rate of change. I could go on and on. He's worked with Dell and EMC and Adobe, UFC. I was there with him actually when we did that together. We could talk about that. Till the end of the earth, Applebee's and SAP. And my favorite, IBM, because that's where we got to work together when he actually was onboarded as an influencer into a program I worked on and, and helped to head up and got to know him and got to see him at the early stages of his, of his social and marketing uh, beginnings. So without further ado, I know I kind of accentuated the intro, but this one was well worth it. Brian, thanks for joining me.
0: Oh, thank you, Brian. And I love that intro. I, um, not only teary eyed, but I, I enjoyed the, uh, the journey you took it on. And, uh, it's, it's my pleasure. I will say you are without question one of my dearest friends and it all started thanks to that IBM program that you know uh, when when someone says the word influencer is a buzzword or it gives them the creeps to, to say it I, I've said it never bothered me once because so many of the amazing humans that I know happen to be because of a lot of the work that I got um, as an influencer and so uh, that you are at the top of that list my friend so this will be this is gonna be a great conversation and you know I feel like anytime we hang out even if it's just uh, random text messages with inside Jokes on a random, on a regular basis. It's always uh, it brings, it, you know, it brings uh, joy to my life. But also, you know, you know, you've always done a great job of making me think and pushing me. Um, even when sometimes I didn't realize that's what you were doing at that time. And uh, I would say that is part of your superpower, my friend, is uh, you're able to really connect and uh, make an impact without us feeling like we have to sit back and wait for the impact. So this will be a lot of fun. Let's do this.
1: Oh man. Well, um, you know one one interesting little thing I'll say before I'm going to ask you this first question is that in that influencer program we actually used Watson. I don't know if I ever told you this or you knew this or forever's listening. Um, just just for the sake of knowing this, because I think this is pretty neat. We only took thirty influencers into that program out of like hundreds and hundreds of people that could potentially be the first influencer within the what was to be the global program for influencers. It was really neat to be a part of that. And we use Watson, um, uh, their, their, uh, their, their AI system to actually help us identify who those influencers are and who the up and coming influencers were. Uh, so we fed the system, uh, all of the content and all of the, uh, people who um, who we had identified in the hundreds. And then Watson actually... Then we did the human work, Watson did the hard work. And between human and technology, which is what we talk about all the time, it spit out these names and I'd say it got it right. So um, really, really cool that uh, here we started with human and technology that built the relationship into that program. And here we're sitting here today. So I just kind of wanted to accentuate that and jump right in and just say like... Um, you know, let's start back. I'm going to dive right in Brian and say what, um, you know, this is all about small shifts. It creates epic outcomes, large outcomes, big outcomes, even medium sized outcomes. Um, what's one thing that felt small at the time to you, but ended up being a big shift for you in your life?
0: I love this question. And I started thinking back about a lot of different, you know, moments where I was taking risk and taking, uh, you know, like, hey, I'm just going to try this out. And I think that's like the easy way to default. But I'll actually, I'll, I'll flip it all the way back to my freshman year in high school. And, you know, the thing that kind of was always there for me is I always loved school, but hated class. Um, uh, as someone that just struggled uh, to be good at school, but I had perfect attendance because I really enjoyed people in the hallways. Every teacher loved me, but didn't want me in their class because I was a, <laughs> I was a talker and shocker, and uh, and I was oftentimes struggled in class. And I, you know, I kind of grew up. Being, you know, my parents were amazing and invested in us. I was the oldest of three, and I kind of just owned like, kind of who I was, and kind of just was okay like being friends with everyone but not having like a quote-unquote friend group but at that time especially freshman year in, in high school for me a lot of like where my identity was was about sports and you know being an athlete and played hockey i played football i played baseball i played a lot of a lot of different sports um and i remember that you know the small shift for me was actually i had a teacher stop me in the hallway my freshman year and she said brian uh I noticed during you know the class that when we went to the computer lab that um that you really kind of enjoyed yourself. Like you wouldn't like the computer didn't intimidate you. You were kind of into it. And she was like have you ever thought about taking like a computer class? And I was like, nope, no interest. I was like, I like people. I do not want to sit in front of a computer. I, I was. I remember, like, almost to the point where I think she she was she felt like kind of offended. Uh, and it's Miss Peterson. So if Miss Peterson's ever listening from uh, Kellum High School in Virginia Beach, uh, I'm sorry, but I will say what happened was she's like, okay, well, fine. She didn't push it. And then about like halfway through that that year, um, when I didn't take the class, but I had uh, we had to take a typing class uh, back then. Um, and uh, after the typing. class, She's like, Brian, I want you to compete in the typing competition for school. And I remember thinking in my head, nobody that's cool is going to take this typing competition. (laughs) And in a weird way, the shift I made was, well, you know what? This, I'm gonna do this for me because I think I could win it. Like I think I could. And like it wasn't because I all of a sudden was like a great typer, but I just kind of felt like it was like one of those things where I'm like, well, if none of my friends are doing it, like I probably have a chance. And so I said yes. And like, I didn't even know what what was like, what was required. I remember it was like four days after school the next week. Um, and I ended up winning that, that typing competition. And then it sent me to like the regionals things for like the school district. And I went to the regionals and I got last place. I'm talking, I think it was 400. I was 400th. And it was one of those moments where it was. It was beautiful when you like, I, I did it and I was successful. And then I went into like the region. I was like, oh my God, these people like no computers. And like, they've lived on it. And like, I never grew up gaming. I was so you know into sports in the world I was in, but that little shift, that little piece actually allowed me to decide my major five years later when they were like, Brian, you're not good enough in English. What are you going to do in school? You can't be in media studies. Journalism like was where I was going for being like an anchor in sports center. And someone suggested, like, what about business informations and computer science? And I was like, you know what? I did win that competition in high school on typing. Like, I remember thinking that. And uh, that little shift, that, that willingness to, you know, play in that competition, knowing that it wasn't what the cool kids were doing it not only changed my, like my path and like the career I went into, but it was also kind of became like the thing that I started to lean into. And that's like kind of the earliest moment I remember making that small shift. And damn, I'm thankful I did.
1: Yeah. It, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly a, a superpower today to be able to type. I mean, that's, um, you think about today and what's required of all of us, it's it, you say, who doesn't have a keyboard in front of this, in front of them.
0: I know. And I and think, and, and like, I mean, I, I graduated high school in 99. So I was like, what, 96. And I think like being able to type was like, opt- you opted into that. Like, like it wasn't like, there was no, like, no, I was like, oh, of course, I'll, I'll try that as well. an option. You're right. Like, that's an interesting, you know, just to think of it. it's not that long ago, but wow. I mean, wow, times have changed.
1: They sure have. And that was on a typewriter. <laughs> it wasn't on a typewriter. It wasn't on a typewriter. It was on uh, a computer. Oh, it was on a what? It wasn't on a computer. It was a computer. Oh, it was a computer. Okay. Yep. Oh, I thought I heard a typewriter. So no. um, so you it's interesting because you you talked about um I wasn't good at this, I wasn't good at this, I wasn't good at this. Um, was that kind of like a, a story that um and, and I know that you you had um School and/or college, uh, as you were working through things that you're trying to find your way, and you're trying to pick out up like how am I going to shift through like all of these things to find myself and figure out what I want to do.
0: So looking back now, like at the time, um, I felt oftentimes that I knew that I was not book smart. Like I knew that early on. I remember even in middle school, um, like we moved from Pittsburgh to Virginia Beach and I remember feeling as though I could I could make a difference because people would like me. And I knew that I could kind of like, that I not only could people like me, but I was very one that like, I would play all the sports and there's nothing, there's no one I would single out. I loved everybody. I wanted everyone to like me as well. But I also knew like in my deepest, like I just knew that if... In a weird way, it was like if someone only judged me based on my ability to pass classes in school, um, I would not come across <laughs> good. Like it was just something that uh, and and a lot of the times people would say you know like people, um, but I mean everyone you know, was like Brian just doesn't apply himself. Brian doesn't focus. Brian doesn't. If Brian wanted to succeed, he would. And in many cases, there was that was the case. There was definitely a piece of that. But in a lot of cases, I worked so hard and so wanted to succeed like i i mean i tried everything and when it would just continually not happen, I also became really good at social engineering my way into success. I became really good at being able to take cliff notes and pass a test. And the teacher was like, you didn't check out the book. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, crap. Like, didn't cover my tracks very well on that one, Brian. You got to check out the book before you, you know, take the test on reading the book. Um, and so, like, I think for me, like, so much of that time was, I never felt like I had to, like, prove myself, quote unquote. But I definitely was not, like, I, I was... Okay with kind of going where people thought I should be going, and I knew like along that way I was going to figure things out. Like I didn't know it was going to take (laughs) till I was in my thirties to kind of really figure things out, like you know in my own uh, skin. But I think to me that was that was so much part of it. I I definitely, man, I it was such a frustration that eventually I just kind of gave in to people assuming that I was lazy or that I didn't try. Because at one point, I was like, when I do try, they don't see any difference. (laughs) And when I don't try, it's kind of like, oh, it's Fanzo. And he's like, you know, lazy or doesn't try. Um, And it's interesting now because anyone that knows me in the last 15 years, the word lazy and doesn't try would never be something I would be labeled for. But I mean, that was the label. That was the label for me was, you know, but but the other piece of that, they would always say Brian shows up. Brian's a part of everything. Like, I didn't miss a high school football game. In my entire, you know, like, I was, you know, I played, I DJed at a skating rink. I was part of the hockey team. I tried out for four different plays as a thespian because I, I just enjoyed those different things. I was the only kid, uh, only, only boy in the um, home ec and fashion classes. And part of the reason was like, they're my, like, one of my best friends, she's like, Brian, you should just come out and like hang out with us here. You're probably going to learn things that are going to help you. I was like, well, I'm not learning anything in like algebra for the second time since I failed it the first time. So why not? Like jump in, you know, and like, I mean, to, like my best friend of my my entire life, um, who I've known since I was 12, like she, she's why why I went to the college I went to, but like so much of those things where she, where everyone else saw me as not applying myself, she always saw it as, Brian, I just need to guide you into places that let you be you and it's Ash, my friend Ashley. And so it was, de- it's definitely a journey, especially back then on uh, just not knowing what was wrong with me, but also not wanting others to realize that I knew something was wrong, <laughs> if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. And that must've been, did it create anxiety? Did it create like a lack of sense of self? Like how did you, how did you, what did that, what did that do? And then how did you shift out of that?
0: So weirdly, I didn't have anxiety at all. Um, I think it had to do a lot with my parents. My parents, um, you know, from the outside in, most of my friends assumed I would go into the family business. My dad owned a very successful peanut brittle uh, company that was worldwide, and from the outside, they were kind of. I even remember people saying this behind my back, and then eventually in front front of me, I'm like, "Oh, we don't, we know why you don't apply yourself, Brian. Like, you just need to get out of high school to get in your dad's company." And I remember one time coming home and like dad, would you ever let me in the company if I didn't pass high school? And my dad was like, who said I'm going to let you in the company if you do pass? Like my, like my dad was like, what are you talking about? And like, I remember it was my senior year in high school. Um, we kind of had like this, you know, my, my dad, my dad traveled Monday through Thursday every week for part of his business. Like our big dinners were Friday nights, like the family, we always you know came together. And I remember my dad kind of being like, you know, we've heard this a couple of times and we just want you to know, like, none of the three of you are going into the family business unless that is what you want to do for the rest of your life. And they were my dad was very much of like, I want you to find what you find and lean into it. And you know, my brother is a VC in the commercial real estate uh, space. My youngest brother is uh, an executive in, a, in the AV tech space. Uh, we all three, none of us went to the family business. No one of us even took that path at all. And so I think that helped for me. because like, The reason I went that way is a little bit because like, I didn't have anxiety. My parents were super supportive. Now, I got grounded a lot because of the things that I did and uh, I you know, I was definitely one that would I would press press the limits and then whenever I would do something extreme or something that I knew like, "Oh, I'm going to get away with it." I got caught every time, like over and over. Like the very first time I ever sped on the highway, Got a ticket, right? Like, I mean, I'm, like, very. I mean, like, and like, it's hard to you know, go home to my parents. I'm, like, I tell that my parents that, and, like, yeah, right. Like, this is the first time you got caught, and like, but no. Like, if I look back at my like, series of things, so I was very outgoing, I was very confident. But I, the weird thing was, I I gave up control. I just you know, like when I visualized what I was going to accomplish, it was it was for always because my because my my mom and dad. Uh, Like, they have the marriage that I, like, anyone would want. Like, they love each other and, and they've made it work. I know, well, not naive to know that it's not a perfect thing, but like, they've, and just like what they did for my brothers and I, and like, my dad wanted to get to know his son's friends. So he, he, Created a yogurt shop. He bought a yogurt shop uh, and hired all of our friends. Every girlfriend I had uh, worked in my family frozen yogurt shop. Uh, my dad lost money. That, that thing lost money for the first 11 years that company existed. And he's always looked at it as a positive ROI because every one of our friends had to work there. Therefore, he never had to worry about who, you know, when I said I'm going to the such and such's house, my parents knew everyone that was involved and that happened with all of us. And so I think for me, part of that. View was I just want to follow my parents' footsteps, and my dad didn't go to college, neither my mom. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to college. I'm going to find the person I want to marry. I've always wanted to be a dad, so I'll be a dad. I will find the job that allows me to afford my family the things that they want. Um, I will get the house, the the cars, the travel, and um, and I and I was always confident that that would happen. But from the outside, there's probably people like, "How the hell is he?" Th-? Like I remember, remember that being like. I mean, I, I think I've told you this story, but I, my freshman year in, in high or my junior year in high school, going into my junior year, when I told the guidance counselor, guidance counselor simply asked, Brian, you know, he said, now like, what are you going to do after college? And I remember he had like all this paperwork with like the technology things and routes. And I was like, well, uh, he's like, what are you gonna do after high school? And I was like, no, no, well, after college, you know, these are the things I want to do. And he like smirked, like, huh, college, you think you're going to college? And I was like, yeah. And he, I was like, he's like, you have a 1.8 GPA, Brian. like, And the classes you're retaking your junior year, like, You're not going, like, where do you think, like, I remember him, I was like, oh, wait a second, like, what do I need to do to go to college? And like, I mean, I mean, honestly, part of that, I mean, thank goodness, uh, his name is Mr. Rubin, my guidance counselor, still remember him every, uh, I think about him probably more than he he would ever know because he believed, but he also was just like at that point where he's like, oh. Like Brian assumed he is like, I'm going to see how it's going to go. Right. And I got my, like my first B's and A's, like I got my first A in high school, my senior year, both of my younger brothers got straight A's throughout high school. Right. So like I was, uh, not only did I struggle, but like, you know, and there was a little bit of a shame for me with the bad grades, but it was, there became a point where I, I knew like this was just part of like the, the growing process. And I was lucky I had uh, my senior year, uh, two teachers that had had me before said, Brian wants to go to college. We're going to put him in AP classes. And they don't know at that point what that meant, but what they knew was they knew my strengths. And in the AP classes, they didn't require you to read a book and report on it. They would require you to listen and understand all of these different things and be able to come up in front of the class and be able to narrate what you just learned, get people to move. And these teachers at that time were the first time ever when I was like, I remember going home with a paper to my parents. My mom was like, I don't think they have this right, Brian. Like you, you couldn't pass. Like you had to take summer school for tenth grade English, yet eleventh grade English they want you to take AP. And these teachers, I mean, I mean, all the teachers are are heroes. But to me, that so many of those those pieces then, like looking back now, was like they understood where my superpowers laid and the things I was struggling with, and they they leaned into like this piece of it. And I got, you know, a B and AP class, which raised my GPA up. And, you know, I graduated high school and and I got in the two universities of the four I applied to uh, on probation. You know, I got in on probation, but uh, I, you know, I'm so thankful for that whole piece. And so I guess that's for me is when I, I was always confident that I would achieve what I believed what I was going to achieve. But there was definitely um, no desire to know the path that was going to happen because I really didn't have the visualization of how that was going to happen
1: that that that's such an interesting thing that the two grades or that one one to two grades was just the thing that changed the entire course of almost your life in the um, at that moment it was like a sliding doors moment of uh two different potential paths that you could take of you know what happened next that divided your life into a whole different path whether you went to college or not and whatever happened next i mean i'm sure you would have made something else out of it but you did get to college. You did go to that. Um, you did do that. And then you graduated with a uh, computer science degree,
0: right? Yeah. Business information with computer science concentration. Yeah. Yeah. That Which, you know, interesting enough, college was the place I just assumed things would get easier for me school-wise. And it didn't uh, at all, right? And like, in a weird way, getting into college was like a, that. You know, and, and I love that point you made too, where, it, you know, like if the guidance counselor didn't push back me, like... Like, Hey, like if you want that, this is what you have to do. Right. And then he was also, he I remember he would always be like, Brian, you don't care about telling people like your dirty laundry, like what your GPA is because you know, that if they know that it'll, there's a better chance of them helping you make it succeed. Right. Like, and I, re- I remember him saying that in like a way I'm like, wait, like I just assumed all the teachers knew anyhow. Like, like for me, it wasn't a big deal. Like I, I, I wasn't using it, as, you know, bragging. And like, even when I went into college, you know, like for me, it was like, Okay, this is where it's gonna happen, right? Like finally, I get to choose my major. I'm not gonna be force me to take the classes I need to do. Um, and you know, thankfully I got into uh, you know, I played hockey and hockey had mandatory study hall hours. And that that helped a lot. Um, it helped a lot with these mandatory, you know, study hall hours and the GPA I needed to get into. But it it definitely was one of those things that there was many places where I just kept waiting for it to click and it just wasn't happening. But just because it wasn't happening doesn't mean I wasn't going to figure out a way to get through college, right? Like it was, you know, I, I, I was a president of my fraternity, I was assistant captain of the hockey team, and I, and I was business information, computer science, right? And I would argue almost every teacher and dean in that school knew who I was because I was on associations and boards and, and things. And a lot of that I can tell you was my way of making up for my bad, my, my struggles in school was like, how hard will it be for this teacher to fail me in my junior year of, uh, you know, a three, you know, 300, 310, I remember it was three ten uh, economics. When for two years in college, I was on the board helping to, you know, connect the dots between organizations on campus and off campus. Right, like there was like this play for me, and like, I mean, I've had a couple people in my life talk about like my ability to socially engineer or like really understand people and then believe in my understanding. Like no matter what everyone else said about somebody, I could just trust my, like that was the piece. Like, and I would say if it wasn't for my guidance counselor and those teachers kind of believing to push me in ways that would best suit me, not what, what the, you know, like, cause they looked at the checklist of like kids to get into AP classes. I, I wasn't even on, I wasn't even, I was below the checklist line of all those checklists. So uh, that's a really interesting piece. And I, and I, and I, I'm glad you asked the part about anxiety too, because I, I think sometimes we assume when those struggles those things are going on that it manifests in a way that like is out- outward and like but it wasn't for me i was an extremely happy kid i i i you know, weird way i got to date all the girls i wanted to date like if there was a girl that i thought that was like when someone would be like oh that person's out of your league i knew that i could win them over like you know in, a, in this like world that i lived in and all the while still knowing that like there was an element of me that was like hey i gotta i gotta like I'm I'm gonna make up for this by doing all of this. And it never felt pressure, I never felt anxiety, I never felt um I never felt any of that really. And I'm very blessed because of it. And I think it was partially because if you could if you could be really successful and you are know, like you're the youngest president of our fraternity, we have to rewrite the bylaws. Like I'm able to to use that as like to keep me going when I can't pass Spanish two for the third time taking it. Right. Like like you know, like for whatever reason, like that was my my counterbalance on how I kind of pushed through wow you
1: know um it's it's amazing um and you know we could go off in the area of education and how education tends to uh you know pull us down in certain areas when other areas are actually shining um and what that means to not just you and me but you know the the world as there are so many gifts the different Different people bring, but I do want to uh, get to different parts of of you, and in something that ha- that that even seemed almost even even larger, uh, something even more insurmountable that happened maybe next in your life that you had to get through. Maybe it was a Kilimanjaro, as I like to call it, something that was like a high mountaintop that you had to climb to get yourself. To the point where you were going to, um, you know, climb it and overcome it. It seemed quite big at the time, but you knew you needed to overcome it. Can you think of a time like that?
0: Well, the first one that comes to mind, I think, is probably the one to lean in on, you know. And so I proposed um, in college and got married right out of college. So I graduated in in, uh, May of uh, 2003 and then got married in October of 2003. Um, and uh, she was from Northern Virginia so we moved up here to Northern Virginia and I couldn't get a tech job um, I just couldn't you know this is 2003 I mean no one was hiring and I ended up working at Dick Sporting goods for a little while um, and a gentleman's bike who I was working on um, he's like hey I work for UPS and we're looking for Christmas hires like any chance you'd want to be a Christmas hire for UPS and I was like oh, yeah it makes good money um, and you know like I was still playing hockey at the time was in great shape and the athlete and um, I remember like the the UPS job, you know, I got the job and they told us like, you know, there's 93 Christmas hires. And they said, we have three full-time union jobs for the three people that are going to be rated the best as like, you know, they had a lot of these different uh, gauges uh, for the Christmas hires. And so we, like, we didn't drive the truck. We, we rode shotgun and like, the ones running the packages. Um, and I remember coming home uh, to Sandra at the time, I was like, I'm going to get the full-time y- union job and I'll be set. And I got it. I got the second spot of the three. So I was second um, at the end of the year and they offered me that job. And uh, I took the job and the money was, I mean, amazing. The job... Kept me in good shape. It was a lot of work, but we got paid really well. Um, you know, I got to you know, I had my own, my own. You know, I got coming at six a.m. in the morning. My truck would be loaded. Uh, my job was to get all those packages delivered as fast as they can. It rewarded us. Like if we if we were done early, we got paid time and a half for the hours that we saved for me on the road. So there's a lot of these like, incentives that worked well for me. And so to go to your question was, you know, a year later, I'm working still that union job, and it's. I mean, I'm telling you, it's good. It uh, money is good. Um, I didn't have to worry about a thing when I came home. Like literally that the, the short brown shorts and brown uh, UPS clothes came off. And like my life, I, I just got to enjoy sports and music and we traveled. And so like, for me, there was a, there was a time right then that I feel like I had to make a decision on like, where do I really want to do this computer science thing? Do I, you know, what am I going to do? And um, you know, and I, and I, and I will not say it was like a personal struggle. It was more of like a struggle of saying, you Know what is my thought on complacency or like set for you know because a lot of these drivers that I was working with they were 25 plus years on the in that route and you know they're making very nice six figure incomes um and zero like life was I mean literally they were they just had they had it and um I remember thinking to myself like Brian you have three months you have three months before you're gonna stay this job for the rest of your life and you just gotta decide what you're gonna do in those three months to just like find something and um you know I I got, I was t- delivering, I was picking up milk on the way home from working at UPS and I had uh, unbuttoned my UPS shirt. And I had my, my fraternity letters on and it sparked a conversation uh, with a guy in front of me and it turned into, he asked me, you know, two questions, which he, he still to this day says was like the best answers I could give. And he was like, have you ever taken a class on cybersecurity? And I was like, Nope, not one in class, college. He's like, do you know what a uh, intrusion detection is or a virus? And I was like, not a clue. And he was like, "So the good news is, I don't have to unlearn you of anything." He's like, "And here's the third question." He's like, "Can you get a security clearance?" And I was like, "I'm pretty sure I can." Like, "What's the Like, I didn't know, uh, you know, anyone like my um, my ex's, uh, her, you know, her, her family was all government up here. But um, I mean, I, none of my family was in that space at all. And um, and so yeah, so that was so that was like that decision. I remember I went in and took the job or took the interview. Um, and at the end of the interview. I mean, he just stood up. He's like, you know, we've done, you know, 18 people for this role. If you can get a clearance, it's yours. And I remember when he said the salary and it was like, the, I was like, what? It was one third of what I was making at UPS, one third. And it was 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. And I am not a morning person. And so, like, not only was it earlier than my UPS job, which I was already like, man, this is too early, but it was, I mean, it was entry level help desk at a computer science that I had got security clearance. And that to me, like, I remember going home and being like, every sign says, no way, what the hell am I going to do? And like, I was newly married. um Like we, we had planned not to have kids for five years or so. So like, that wasn't like the concern, but it was more of like, what is going on? And, you know, for me, the thing came back to the idea of avoiding complacency with UPS also believing that i would regret never giving the computer space a try if i didn't actually do it and i was like why the hell did i put myself through that in college and in the space that i did and you know sure enough uh you know i ended up taking the job and uh you know was able to get my my clearance and I mean, talking about like a, a roller coaster, right? Because then six months later, uh, he comes in and asks for someone to volunteer. You know, the first one to raise your hand that can go to Korea and teach a class on Monday, uh, you know, makes it happen. And I happen to have my hand raised first. Uh, and he asked if I had a passport. I was like, nope. And he's like, I was like, but I've been in the Caribbean on a cruise. like that. was And he's like, well, we're going to need to get your passport. And I got a same day passport on that Saturday. And I flew to Seoul, Korea, took a two hour train uh, to Daegu, Korea. And I taught the military on a course. That week in uh, in uh, Degu. and I, every night I went back. I learned what I had to teach. Like I did not really know what I was doing. Um, I, I knew enough to troubleshoot because I did on the help desk really well. But I, I had to learn every night. And you know, when I got back on that following Monday, the government lead pretty much told our boss that like they were going to add four more classes a month if I was the one teaching them, just based on that feedback. And uh, talking about a weird experience when he like when they come in and like Brian, do you want that role? And just so you know, it's like three levels above promotion wise. Um, we're going to have to increase your security clearance. And there's a high likelihood that the boss that hired you will soon be reporting to you. And this is like six months after like I got the job. And I remember just being floored. Like, wait, what did I do right? Like, I, I couldn't even, like, honestly, I was like, dude, I just, I, I raised my hand and said I could do it. And then I just did whatever needed to be done to do it. Like there wasn't like a, I didn't feel like I was any more special than anyone. You know, I had some good rapport with the the military members that were there. I wasn't acting like I was better or better than them or knew everything. Um, but that was, I mean, that put me into this position of being a trainer, and it was all, honestly the weirdest thing because I was such a bad student that I would laugh that I was like, "Wait, I'm getting paid to be in the front of the class now!" Like, talking about a weird juxtaposition. And uh, you know, nine years later, you know, thirty-six employees, nineteen million dollar budget, and the things that we made happen. And so, like, the 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 piece to me was that decision to take to leave UPS and like cushion. Beautiful, it was union, so I was guaranteed oh my it would it had everything, and there was literally like <laughs> there was no reason other than there was two well there's two reasons for me: one, I was a big believer in like having a great boss was so valuable, like my dad had always kind of in, in you know, embarked on that on us. And I knew this guy that I met in the grocery store line. He just came across as a dude I would work for. Like, I was just like, you know what? Like, if, if I'm ever going like, to, if I'm, if I'm going to wait a year and a half, like there would have been other tech jobs. But I was like, wait a second. Like, this is the opportunity. Like, with a guy literally saw fraternity letters and was willing to say, like, do I get a clearance? And he liked that I answered and honestly. Like, these were two things to me that were like the, the jump. And so, like, you know, it wasn't a Kilimanjaro, but it was more of like a, um, like there's not many places in my life where I look back and say, what if I didn't? That is one that I look back and say, "Man, what if I didn't? If I didn't lean into that, like weirdly, way less pay, <laughs> worse hours, having to get a clearance job? Because uh, I don't know what would have happened in, uh, you know, elsewise."
1: Wow. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty big mountain. I mean to to leave uh, to leave something that was so um, um, it was so comfortable and and not just comfortable it 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 showed you that this path could lead to supporting your family and being a nice lifestyle but uh this other path could be i mean again it was just another one of those fork in the roads for you that um that seems to be a trend that's (laughs) the theme of your life it's these forks in the road which may just be the title of this whole thing um (laughs) Because you are the fork in the road, you your whole life seemed like it I'm sensing a a um, you know a, a, that that being you and 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 you keep making these decisions this like bet on yourself um that you you bet on you, and you know you, and I can do this and um and you you now moving into the next area of of what's next um in your life you uh nine years have passed and you moved into you know family daughters now three daughters um okay. you know married and um you're 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 cooking your life is good what's what's the next i dare i say fork in the road or shift um that you had to overcome
0: it was it was uh you know and those next years um, you know, we we went through some miscarriages, um, and you know, I was traveling a lot. But the beauty was, I had a I had great bosses. Like I will say this: like I have not had, I've never had a bad boss. Like I jokingly said, like my worst boss ever was my dad at the frozen yogurt shop because he just stayed on my ass all the time. Like like my dad, my dad was the toughest one on me of all the bosses I've had. And, and I don't know if that's. Um, I don't know I don't know what the reason I'm very blessed in that sense to have a boss every boss that I've ever had and I had bosses at the time that knew that I was newly married that, that were adjusting like hey all summer they paid for my uh, the mother and my children to fly with me on the summertime. they knew i was traveling so much they were like dude this marriage is going to last we need to like take care of her as a school teacher she was a school teacher so the summers she flew to Amsterdam and Korea and uh, Paris and Germany with me um, and it was all like part of the the piece, and then when I uh, we had our first kid, uh, and it was a struggle, and we went through some complications, and they adjusted my calendar to like all of a sudden now my t- my my boss was like, hey, I'll give you more budget to get more of your team on the road. You cherry pick rather than have them be there for five days with the courses. Like you go in for two days to audit and come home, and so I had a lot of those things kind of going on. Um, and you would argue, like I mean, this is you know. Two thousand three or two thousand four, you know, up until like you know, right around two thousand twelve, when you know, for me, like it was there. This is this world of like things were going amazing. You know, I had moved to Arizona uh, because my boss was like anywhere that has an international airport, and I bought the house next to my brother. We shared a backyard. My brother and I are super close. Um, we also have three daughters each. Uh, most of our daughters are, are less than six months apart from when they were born. It was not planned. It was just kind of the way that it happened, um, and. Uh, like that part, so much of that was, you know, literally the vision of like checking the boxes. Right. And, uh, and I remember that, you know, the government contract that I was on was ending and I knew that the company that I was working with really wanted to keep me. And so they promoted me in this big role and they were like, you know, we're going to figure out what contract Brian's going to go on. And, um, and they, they they're this big promotional ceremony. And they, and I remember them making the comment, like, this is the face and the up and coming of government cybersecurity as Brian Vanzo. Like they were, I mean, like, and I remember feeling so weird about that because i felt like i was bound to disappoint them because i didn't want to be the face of government cybersecurity so I, I i loved working with the military actively military loved i had every boss i ever had was great i had a great position but i also always had this like belief that like this was a stepping like i'm going to do bigger things like that was like i was like so damn confident about that but i didn't know what those bigger things were like there was no like like and but it was i remember that like i remember that promotion ceremony driving home and being like I don't think I can work here anymore, and like I remember, I remember like the three people on my vehicle at the time were laughing. They're like, "Yeah, right!" Like an entire government contract just ended, and the company kept you, wanted to keep you so much they promoted you and gave you a pay raise when they're like when they have to get rid of like this entire team. And like, and for me, it was like, no, like this is my like if I keep this and I lean into this. I'll be pot committed forever. Like I, it'll be, and, and I was like, but I also know like where I'm at and I worked for, my company was owned by, a, um, we were US owned, but we had our parent company was a European. And so we had a lot of days off, uh, like 54, uh, 54 paid days off. Um, I mean, just amazing like setup. And I mean, I, I talked to both of my mentors at the time. One of them had used to be my boss at the, at the government contractor and talked to my dad and everyone was like, Stay where you're at. Cybersecurity is just now taking off. You were the face, they tra- you know, like, and I knew it deep down, like your fork in the road comment, right? Like it would, part of it for me. Was this? It's that same feeling. If I don't do this now, I never will. And uh, we we left, and then I had a little like let's just, we'll call it snafu with my clearance where I couldn't get another job because of where my clearance was held, but they couldn't hire me back. And so I was like in this weird limbo. So I ended up playing semi-professional poker for a good while, uh, which is not the segue I think anyone with a security clearance is usually into, but um, it was another one of those places where uh, I found Success in like my own little like path. Like I found this little like they and I, like truthfully, what had happened was the government had sent me to uh, speaking. Uh, I had to get certified to speak at the Pentagon, which is part of what I was doing. And I had to get I had to pass this class. And part of the class that passed was like nonverbal cues, like don't talk with your hands, don't talk fast, all the things I got wrong. Um, and then years later, the person that was teaching that class came in and said, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna send some people into some body language class to be better at what they're doing." And they sent me to this course, uh, and the teacher. Was Joe Navarro, who writes a book called Navarro Tells, uh, master of body language, retired FBI, Um, and I was like, oh my god, like this guy, like everything for me. It was like my whole life was like that's what I did. Like I, I was able to read what no one else would read in a circle of friends, and be able to be compassionate when other people weren't. You know, like these little things. And so when I knew that poker was like a competitive version of testing out that skill set, I was like leaning in. And I also realized I was horrible at online poker. So I was the millennial kid that like, loved computers, but I mean, I'm talking horror because math is not my strong suit, right? Like also like that, like just the element of, you know, I could stay focused for that, but like the, the joke was, I mean, even, I got sponsored by uh, Full Tilt Poker. Uh, they, they literally, the, the byline read whenever they put out the, P, the press release was like, the only millennial you'll know that's better offline than he is online. Like, <laughs> Like literally, that was like my 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 tag, and then um, you know I decided like during that period because I saw the time off and the money and the my my second daughter had been born, um, that I was you know gonna kind of figure it, ride this kind of wave that I had, uh, and then we had we found out we were pregnant with my third daughter, and I remember like believing at all times, and, I, and I, my you know my partner she was great at um, not allowing me to go down the rabbit hole that could be the poker. Like life and career, and um, like I would oftentimes fly to Vegas from Phoenix, Arizona, um, with a one swipe credit card and a lot of cash. And it was because I didn't have a chance to rebuy or max out my family loan. Um, I would, if I blew the money in an hour, I could use the credit card to fly back. Um, If I was winning money, I would stay all weekend and you know and and cash in. And because we kind of put those things in place, we were able to have kind of like separate funds. I paid off uh, her her student loan um, in cash, which was a a big thing for me. I always say like the only thing I ever. Bought with my poker winnings was I bought myself a new grill and a TV. Those are the two things I bought with uh, you know with multiple six-figure uh, poker wins, and you know it was one of those moments where I decided you know what if I took this leap away from the government and I'm in the poker space and poker is something I can play for the rest of my life unlike like hockey and things. I'm gonna I'm gonna. Stop playing poker at the level I was doing it. Uh, One, to call it a victory, because most people don't stop until they they go broke. Uh, And two, because you know what? I'm going to go after what I called my dream job. And the dream job I had was Guy Kawasaki, um, the technology evangelist. Like I remember reading his first book on that. I was like, oh my God, like that's me. Like, I have to love whatever I'm working with, the people I'm working with, and I have to help others see that love. And I have to connect. I don't have to sell them. I don't have to market them. I don't have KPIs. Um, and I found a funny enough. I found a job that was a training job, but I also knew they had this other job that they had open. And so I went and applied for the training job. And I'm like, we're well, we're not going to hire you for this other job. Like, you don't I haven't played in our space. Um, but they were like, you're overqualified over-qual- for this training job based on what I did for the government. And I was like, you know what, I'll come in. And it was, a, it was a huge pay cut. Um, but I was like, I'll come in. I was like, but I'll, can we make an agreement that if I prove my worth and what I believe I can do from a uh, evangelizing and uh, connection that, that we could create that job for me. And I remember like, you know, first day I met the CEO of the company and he's like, yeah, sure. Like, you know, like, yeah, we got you. Like a lot of that was like, sure, like, you know, this kid that's, you know, coming in from the government job who has like this big gap in his resume that only has the word poker in it. Um, like, how does that work? Um, and, you know, three and a half months later, uh, they came down and were like, yeah, you were right. So uh, we need to put you more forward facing. And, you know, we created a role where I dotted lines to the CIO and a dotted line to the CMO. And I reported to the CEO. And that is actually where you and I kind of connected that very first time was I, I was in that role as, an evangelist and all of a sudden I had a forward facing. I was on the front of the building. I was talking about things on marketing. I was leaning into social. I was speaking at some of these large events that my, my CEO would be, we would pay to sponsor an event. He would be the keynote and like 24 hours before he was speaking, he would just be like, nope, PR is being too tight. Fans out, yours. And I would go up and be the one that kind of came on the stages. And, uh, I mean, talking about a ride from government to, I mean, this startup was hiring 12 new hires a week, every week. I was employee 256. Reason I remember it is we got a jersey, and I'm a computer guy. So when I got 256, I was like, "Wow, that was destined to happen." Uh, it was so much fun. Like, I mean, it was every startup job life that you imagine, right? We did food truck Fridays. He, he came in one January, was like, "I want to stop email. I want everyone to use social business tools." He just abled the email server for an entire month. Like the entire like our sales team freaked out because right? they couldn't email like. And so it was such an interesting you know journey for me. And I, you know, I ended up being there for uh, two years and ten days, uh, and I mean, talking about like a, a path of like where I kind of came and where I was going. And then, you know, throughout this time, since I was in the government, everyone always said, Brian, you're going to become an entrepreneur. Brian, why aren't you working for yourself? And I just didn't like the idea of being an entrepreneur where I had to do all these things I didn't want to do. But I was like, sure, yeah, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. It's going to happen. Um, you know, and, uh, and for me, like a lot of this, you know, let's just say 2013, I started becoming a lot more dialed into a lot of things going on. Uh, you know, and I started to really play in the marketing space on social. I started interviewing people. I created a Google Hangout show because I was like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna see what, what this skill set kind of works. Um, I And for me, like, this is where I, I finally felt like I was leaning into my own. And it, it, it was, oh, that was my Apple Watch talking. Um, and I, you know, that, the The company, two years and 10 days, We the company was getting uh, acquired uh, and they came in and were like, uh, the company that's acquiring has no idea how you've been on the pay- payroll. Like you have no KPIs, report to executives. Um, we see all this stuff you're doing, like this has to be your last day. And I was like, what? Did you just, I'm like, like my face is on the side of the building when you walked in, like giant face of my big old mug and definitely not expected, right? And I will say like the CEO I had, uh, Man, he was uh, George Schlesman, if George is ever listening, one of the smartest humans I've ever met, a uh, brilliant data center. But he he gave me kind of the golden parachute into entrepreneurship because he's like, you know what, fans are like, how much money do you make a, uh, a month um, with us? Because he, he knew I was going to out. And he's like, I want you to advise my six startups that I'm also an investor in, and I will pay you to do that to cover that same amount of money that you made. And that was like my way into entrepreneurship. And so, yeah, that was talking about a weird journey. Right. And that is at the same time around the time, um, when, you know, you and I had met and I, you know, I remember I, my, that CEO came into my office. He's like, Fanzo, you won some award for being a, uh, an influencer. He's like, your economist is top 25 social business leaders. He's like, I don't know what an influencer is. And I don't have any idea how the hell they know what you're doing in this company. Like that's how he, that's all he talked to me. He's like, but I'm really happy for you. And he's like, and I think there's something about like flying to a Ted talk or something in San Francisco that you got to go to. And he's like, consider it on the, uh, the, the, on the budget. But when you get back from flying there, like, you need to at least tell me that you learned something or that something was worth money, or I'm not going to pay for the rest of this like influencer stuff that you're doing. And, uh, I remember being like giddy, but still not really understanding what the hell that all meant, right? It was like this like world of like, wait a second, I'm gonna fly to a TED Talk in San Francisco. And I I look at the roster and Scott Monty, who's a friend of ours, Scott Monty's name was one of the top 25 economists. And it was probably the first time I ever had had imposter syndrome. Because I remember looking at that list and was like, wait a second the guy who runs social media for Ford, the guy who's like every blog post I had ever read, because I was like, he was doing things in corporate that, and I'm on a list with him, like top 25. And, uh, and so I flew out and some guy named Brian Kramer was the Ted talk uh, there. And I got to sit in the third row, dead center. Um, and I mean, talking about, it was all history from there, but that was, that to me was like that next, you know, it was like that, that next path. And I will say like, you know my third daughter was born uh the data center job, although it wasn't as much travel, was definitely um so important in my life to understand not only kind of coming back to ground level and like kind of starting back up that like I did, but it also kind of renewed my passion for driving change within the company, like within a company, within the people that I'm working with. Uh, and yeah. And so then that, you know, that all kind of led to, you know, I, Social Fans was technically born uh, around that same month that uh, I got that award. And then I went to uh, your TED talk.
1: So um, yeah. And I remember your face just being on stage looking out and that was such a uh, very consoling moment for me to see a friendly face in the, in the audience. Cause it was a very, uh, Very stressful moment for me. uh, I remember. I I remember hanging
0: out with your parents. I got to hang out with your parents, and I was with Court. And I remember you had shot Court a uh, a text with a photo of all of your cue cards on the on the bed. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, like, I didn't understand how big the moment was till I saw that photo. And I remember from that second until I think your talk was done, I hadn't breathed. And we were We didn't know each other massively well. Like we were friends, but it was like there was an element of me that I the moment hit me at the the gravity of that moment and like in that piece of it. Um, and I think it's also like the beauty of like, the connection that you and I have because it was, it was so cool to see. And like, because we had done the IBM, some of the IBM stuff as well, but like, this was like an element where like, I, I, I felt like man I'm the cool kid that has the cool friends that are doing things right yourself and Lisa Sica uh, de Luca, who I had known you know prior to that were on that TED stage but it was also so new to me like the people that we were I met I mean that almost everyone in that TED audience is a friend today right yeah. like how cool is that like from like a weird even like I mean, four or five people that were on the stage became people that I still could text message right now and um, I mean that To me, epitomizes so much of life of like me, you know, the fork in the roads. As you said, you know, a lot of it was like leaning into things that I believed in myself, but also leaning in with a with the idea of just being curious. Like I mean, that that was so. And I remember coming home from that TED Talk and being like, Dan, like it was it was transformational in so many ways of like of where I wanted to be, where I wanted to go. But it was also a a kick to remind myself, like, don't stop betting on yourself, and you need to check yourself, right? Like there was there was an element of that as well
1: that was uh, so well said and such a beautiful moment. And I remember us being there together and, and, uh, and I do, do remember that. And I just want to, um, I want to, I want to carry this into that, this last segment of, um, of what, what took you, what took us to where we're at today. Um, and this would be like the, that final fork in the road. I like how this is all coming together. Cause it's, you know, you've got these like segments of life that are these, Moments, these um, these pivotal pivotal shifts. So it's like it's it's a pivotal shift that has happened each time, and you had this decision to make, and um, and you followed you and believed in you, and yet again it paid off into this. Uh, your boss saying five startups, I believe in you. You were an evangelist. I see what you're talking about. I see how this can work. Now go start your entrepreneurial business and off you go. Um, you go, you're running, iSocial, it's it's off and running, and um, you know, you're you're now becoming um uh not only adept in social media, but also in, in keynoting and at the same time um growing a family. Um where did the this last uh at least for now life isn't life is yet to present itself with with more but for where we stand today what was this last fork in the road for you
0: yeah this last one uh or the the one at that moment it was definitely um definitely the one that impacted me the most on my life and um and you know the for me, the element of checking all the boxes and realizing I have the white picket fence I have the three car garage my a massive house in arizona um I had uh three amazing little girls we were you know I was living this anyway you know and from inside and outside it was a very you know i played uh coached some hockey teams, high school hockey um and there was an element of for me that you know as I started looking within and looking at like what I wanted to accomplish and looking at actually even the bigger picture of like You know, Brian, you left the government because you wanted to make a big impact, and and you did this piece of the data center, kind of prove what you were doing as an evangelist, and now you're into this entrepreneur side. And the entrepreneur side was pushing me, myself, to find things about myself that I wasn't, I wasn't, I'd never been asked to understand, right? And even, you know, creating an agency um, with uh, Daniel Newman, our friend uh, Daniel, and realizing that that wasn't for me. Like, oh my goodness, I realized. Early on, like just that style of business for me running that agency was so outside of my skill set and like my desires and things I was doing, and you know part of what I r- was realizing at this moment was that the thing that my parents really helped inspire and instill in me was that belief in myself and walking my own path, and there was an element of. Like, I want to do that for my daughters, right? Like, and, and like for me, like the dream job I've had since I was 14, that same guidance counselor that I mentioned before was when he asked me what I want to be when I grow up, I said, a dad. And he was like, what? Like, uh, he's like, I didn't expect that as an answer, like, uh, you know, that kind of world. And honestly, it was, um, you know, there was lots of things going on. And, you know, we had got married early on and uh right out of college and traveled the world had this amazing um kind of life that we were rolling, but there was definitely where I felt like I, I kind of lost myself in my life and lost myself uh, of who I was and i and even on how I showed up on social media and like so many things became uh allowing myself to tell the story that others wanted to hear about me um and it wasn't that i had to fabricate anything it was more of like oh that's what they want to know i'll put that out there and you know through you know some things of realizing wow like how i how do i change this uh especially from you know the the where things were going and i will say like when i look back the the so much of the change the forks in the road were ultimately me blowing things up even that were successful to start back over and that idea of blowing something up that was so important to me and like such a, like a thing that I had been invested in. And I was, you know, um, I weirdly don't, I don't believe at the time I understood the the gravity of the idea of what, like, Hey, like, you know, I'm not, not unhappily married, but the, the way that this marriage is going is that we are two different humans and, uh, she's an amazing mother to my children. And I'm very blessed that we have our, our three girls together. And, and you know, the the next series of decisions I made were decisions of leaning into this idea of, you know what, like I need, I need to live the life that I know I want my daughters to be proud of, in that I'm gonna be myself always and I'm going to set myself up to do things in my life that I can that that'll, that'll never be put into question. And that was, I mean, I had no idea that, you know, when we separated and the, the, the repercussions, the, the fallout, you know, for the first time in my life, I found depression. I found, uh, isolation. And on the outside, my speaking career is taking off. My following is blowing up. Uh, live streaming has come out where I'm in demand working with all these companies. And in a weird way, it was the hardest time in my life, like personally and like individually. But at the same time, I never felt like I had a, like, as this outside stuff was going on, I didn't have to put on a show because I was actually able to be myself on this, these platforms, live video and 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 uh, social. And I mean, it was it was a, it was a, a journey for me. All of a sudden, not having my daughters full time and and having to convince myself that like I was doing this for them, even though. Right now, I'm getting less time, and there, and like my version of of happiness was always what my family had. My parents are were amazing, right? We had Friday dinners together. My my brothers and I are super close. That was, um, and I had to like re visualize, like, okay, what does this look like as co parents? What does this look like as, um, and I, I believe you know a lot of that for me was you know in that fork in the road was like betting on myself, but leaning into like making sure that my that I was putting what I wanted to accomplish and go get, like at the forefront, right? Like, and I feel like there was a time where I I felt as though like self-care was selfish. I felt as though, you know, like I, because like money has never been a driver for me, like my ability to make a lot of money to take care of the people that I wanted to take care of, was like part of like, just, hey, this is the way that I work on things. And like, and, uh, and so for me, like that, it was such a interesting time for me as my brand's growing. And, you know, even I remember my oldest, uh, Chloe, you know, she saw like, it was on the background. It was like, a, it was a, a desktop background on my computer. And she like looked over and she's like, daddy, be yourself. Cause that was what was written. You know, like the hashtag it was a, it was a course I created. And um, she was like, she's like, daddy, that's what, that's what I always think of whenever you're telling me to do things. I always think about, like, you know, um you, you telling everyone else always to be yourself. And I remember being like so proud, Um, but also so committed. Like that night I remember going to bed and just crying and crying just in the sense of realizing that like, if i'm going to believe this and live this and want this then i'm going to have to i'm going to have to learn how to be uncomfortable myself and i'm going to have to be how, how to uh, learn things about myself you know and um, in a family when you grow up with your family where you know medication and mental health aren't conversations, right? Like the, um, the idea of med- you know, all the, a lot of the things that were going on, like depression, uh, you know, before I kind of walked into that space, I kind of looked at depression as someone was a weakness. Those that were weak were depressed, right? There were, um, even the, the trials that I had in, in being diagnosed ADHD, you know, the day I was diagnosed with ADHD, I was 31. And I always say like, to me, that was a day I found out I wasn't broken, I was just different, right? And I've always been okay with being different. Like that was like, I was like, whoa, I mean, I felt, I mean, it was the, of all the days of my life, It was the day that took the largest feeling off my shoulders that I didn't even know that feeling was there. And, but it wasn't until fast forward many years later when I'm making all these decisions and realizing that like, I just allowed things to happen around me because they covered up my, my, what the broken aspects of who I was, right? And and I think that's a, a lot of where you've got out of this, this journey. And I i think for me, the, the fork in the road and then the leaning into it and the difficult times, and then really having to be self-aware and having to, you know, the only person I was talking to was myself. The only person I was looking in the mirror was myself. And I had amazing people like you that were reaching out on a regular basis. And I had a lot of close friends and, you know, I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to talk to anything. And there was parts of this that like, as I was going through it, I was so aware that I was now embodying things that I saw in others that I didn't understand, right? It was like this, like, I'm, like, I was living through this piece that was like this world that was like missing from me and all of a sudden, and I would never, like, I didn't want to be there. I, I, I chose to be there. So it's my own, you know, there's no one to, to a fault than myself, but it really required, I mean, I spent many months just deciding like, okay, I need to figure out who I am. Like, what do I want to be? Like, not like what do I want to be when I grow up, but like, Yes, I can, you know, being a great dad to me wasn't the the North Star. It was becoming the man I believed I could be, because that would be the North Star for my girls. Right. And and like, wow, it was, it was, it's been a journey, right? The last six years. And part of that journey was leaning into who I was, becoming self-aware. And then also kind of like, okay, well, now how do I monetize that? How do I grow that? What does the business look like like that? And then and even to where we're at, like, you know, pre even global pandemic, I mean, I would argue, I mean I mean, 2019 was an amazing year for my speaking career. I mean, everything falls in place. I have gigs coming in. Uh, The way that 2020 lined up for me was, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, it's the pinnacle. It was, it was the hockey stick was tilted up. And in a weird way, you know, when the pandemic hits in March, like, I mean, I I lost everything, you know, uh, as everybody's speakers, we all lost our gigs and, you know, and I lost all six clients as well as all my speaking gigs. There wasn't... um, I, I wasn't shaken up. You know, it was because we, as a as the world, were going through it. I think that was a big piece of it. Um, but it was also, for me, like in a weird way, because of this last fork in the road. Those years prior to the global pandemic, I believe prepared me as a person, as a as a man, as a dad. To like look at where we were at and look at it differently and look at like, you know, the the sacrifice and like you know I didn't go out of the house for many many months and um, I was very alone in my house because you know I, I'm you know very close to four miles from uh, where the mother of my kids lives but uh, you know most of my family and friends aren't in this close vicinity and you know like I have a long distance relationship because I traveled every week and I was able to spend half my time in Atlanta and uh, you know this last journey this last part of the journey has been without question, the most difficult, without question, the most um, requiring of myself to lean on people that I've not been ever very good at leaning people. I've always bet on myself and I've, but I've never been great at betting on myself, but requiring others to help. And I think that's been my lesson these last six years. And I'm still going through that, you know, as we go through now. Uh, And I'm very, I'm very thankful. Like, uh, you know, the pandemic didn't uh, it didn't break, you know, I was able to turn speaking into virtual and I was able to, you know, 5X the influencer content work I did. Um, but that, you know, like when someone says pivot, right, like for me, like, the, I like where you went with a fork in the roads and I like, you know, you know me better than probably uh, anyone else that is out there in the world as far as knowing this journey for me and like, you know, where I feel I'm at right now, like in the sense of like, like my mental health has never been better. I've uh, never felt more, in touch and alive with my daughters i've never felt like i um i can make an impact and i and my desires for what like what does the future look like and like the success and like the big like uh aha like i i'm not really worried about that at the moment i'm really living in the moment in a way that is my moments and the moments that i want to create for myself and my daughters and and the people that matter to me and it's a it's a beautiful place to be but holy crap is a bit of journey (laughs)
1: <laughs> well you know there's so much to unpack in there and i and, you know again um there's a lot a lot that we could could go down the one thing that i'll pull out just that we will kind of like end on and i don't want to um i don't want to make this about um you know a, cha- a challenge rather than the one thing that actually became a solution is um the one word that you used was i think um alone or solitude and there was a period of days where actually I don't know. There was an energy and the energy shifted and I noticed you weren't either posting or there wasn't, there's something that was wrong in the air. And I reached out and you didn't even reply and you must've just been off the grid and that's just unlike you. Um, And, um, and, and, um, you know, those kinds of moments in there, uh, they must've been just uh, very isolated for you to um, you know, uh, have gone down that road and changed that transit transition to change those shifts for you to to be that. So I can only imagine what what um isolation in those moments must have been.
0: Yeah, especially, you know, being the extrovert and being very confident in myself, right? Like even even as I was going through and, and I've always been someone that wanted everyone to like me. Right. Like I, and I, and I, I've heard every lesson on that. Like, you know, when you want everyone to like you, no one like, you know, like all those. Um, and for me having to come to that, but then also kind of like shrinking my, my, my inner circle, and even as I shrink my inner circle, other dominoes had fallen, right? The idea, um, you know, unfortunately, just even decisions that I didn't understand when I was making going through the separation and deciding uh, to sign papers. I should have probably never have signed uh, out of the, the gate, but I did it out of a place of knowing uh, at the moment it was going to p- take care of my girls. And that was the only thing I cared about. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, for months now, years of kind of dealing with some legal battles on that side, and then realizing that, you know, that there are some things that are going to happen. And and for me, you know, part of that that journey too was this idea of, you know, kind of when you shrink your circle and there's certain people that can, you know, rely or depend on you, but there's also less access to you, right? And like in this this piece. And, you know, for me, one of those, you know, one of those moments was a lot to do with, you know, as... We were kind of going through our separation and, and had you know our lawyers and things that were going on you know i happened to be out of the country and i missed a uh, a court date and the court date apparently was like taped to my door but i was gone for two weeks uh, at the time uh overseas and when i came back i never got the 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 announcement and, and you know and the long story short of that was there was apparently like a warrant out for me um on that like piece of it and uh when the warrant was called in it was in a different county and they had looked at just kind of like the hey, this is how much the, uh, Brian has to pay in uh, spousal and child support, and uh, he skipped a court date. And I mean, so much so that you know they had uh, you know helicopters and police motorcycles out to uh, to bring me in. And uh, I was in basketball shorts and flip flops, uh, and not only unaware of what was going on around me, was just c- completely confused because a I didn't know Mister Court Day B uh, I didn't know what was going on and. I didn't understand why they were treating me a certain way that they were treating me. And it was, uh, now looking at it, I I completely don't blame any of them because they were looked at the, the you know, the high level numbers and things that were there and being like, Oh yeah. And you know, I was that, you know, that was the moment for me with, without question, you know, rock bottom and, Lonely and confused, you know. I, I get uh, I get locked up in a county where they're like, "Well, we just have to transfer you to somewhere else." But we have 15 days to transfer you, and um, and they took my phone. And even when I asked for my phone to write down some phone numbers, they're like, "We do that for most people, but not for you." And they threw my phone in their bag. And there was like this like and, and context at that moment. I still don't understand why I'm even like in this situation, like. They, because they, they were treating me as if like I was, you know, this you know massive criminal or something that was going on. And, you know, they had put me up, you know, put me in solitary and said, you know, whenever the courts call for you to come, we'll get you. There's a phone there, call anyone's number. You know, and the only number I knew was uh, my ex at the time, which doesn't work very well in that scenario. Um, you know, and I spent uh, six days in there, uh, well, five full days um, without seeing a person, seeing the outside light, seeing anything. Um, and not even realizing the i at the time i didn't believe anyone knew i was there because um, most of my family was you know um out of state uh and none of us even knew that i would there was anything going on so therefore you know i literally was going to uh, i dropped off my daughters and we're coming back and you know, it got to a very, you know, I'm very blessed that I could talk to myself because I'm not afraid to talk. And so uh, I had one piece of paper and a cardboard cup and, or a cardboard cup, a uh, uh, styrofoam cup. And I just decided to play like, you know, paper football against myself and did like play by play. And I was doing that for multiple days. And I got to a point where, um, like, I kind of just decided, you know what, I'm going to do something drastic to make it to where they have to book me so that I can get access to like a phone book and I can call somebody. My family was in Arizona and, and uh, thankfully, you know, um, we were a part of a football fantasy football draft that I missed on that Sunday, which was the flag to all of my friends. They were like, "Wait a second, Fansler's just not being silent. Something's wrong. Like he's not posted uh, since Thursday, but he's also like missed something that like he's part of, and like I helped run. Um, and you know, and then it took a couple of days for like my family to fly out from Arizona, like figure, and you know, they end up getting me, you know, getting me uh, out. And the 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 craziest part of the whole thing is then we go to the courts that like filed the warrant and she's like yep dismissed uh you were we were we were wrong like that you know without even you know i had my paperwork from i was out of the country when you served it for you know uh and completely like uh, almost like as if she was like yep didn't happen and uh you know that that was an inch, you know t- i never really understood ptsd like that concept but like you know i had a blanket no pillow um and the lights were on 24/7 and i mean for 19 months 18 months uh closing my eyes just brought back the flashing panel lights above my head and this feeling of like does anyone even know that i'm here and uh and you know like for me like seeing my 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 dad had flown out my dad had come to the courts and like my dad is where i got the social engineering from because my dad goes shows the courts on like a tuesday they're like cool your son yeah whatever but um visiting hours on Saturday, like come back on Saturday. He's like, I flew in from Arizona. We're like, I don't care. And so my dad walked around and found some guys that are out smoking cigarettes that were worked inside. And, they, and my dad went over and talked to him. I was like, Hey, you know, like any chance I could get in and talk to my kid. And then I, and, my, and my dad was wearing a Pittsburgh Penguins jacket. And the, the one guy was like, Oh, I know who your son is. He's the only one other one dumb enough to wear a Pittsburgh Penguins shirt inside of Washington DC area of, of a t-shirt. And he's a super nice guy, even though I know he's not having a good time. And that guy ended up being like, Hey, My dad kind of come in the back door, and I got to see that my 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 dad was there. And and you know it was another one of those like examples where driving home my dad, I'm like, where would we be if we weren't really good at betting ourselves and like kind of like leaning into like the human condition and seeing uh, those pieces? And you know I think for me, you know it it was grounding. It was also you know scary. There's also an elements of you know divorce and um, separation and things that you know i don't think we talk about right and i I, i think like my soapbox this year has been the things that have divided our country are the things we've all been afraid of talking about right the race religion politics mental health uh marriage and and like i'm committed to not letting those things become you know the things that we're not talking about anymore because part of it for me was the amount of things that i believe would just have been simple narrative that i would have made decisions that would not have You know, put me in these scenarios. And a lot of the scenarios end up turning out to good. And guess what? This one is as well, right? We co parent uh, amazingly. My daughters are happy and healthy. And we celebrate birthdays together. And so. um, And you have a
1: ninja course.
0: Yeah, we have a ninja course in the backyard. We do. Um, The girls were here yesterday. And, you know, I think for me, this is the, um, you know, it sounds that cliche, like everything in life happens for a reason. And I think a lot of the blowing up of like things and starting over was because I was, I felt like I could bet on myself through do it. But I also think looking back, all of those things happened so that whenever something blows up that I had, didn't have control of, I could bet on myself again. Right. Like, like my track record of betting on myself and winning was undefeated. And at the lowest of dark moments that I've had, I was still just as damn confident that I could bet on myself. And I, you know, I, I, i know that it's because of all these different you know forks in the roads and the paths i've chosen and and really the the destiny i want to be on and and like seeing my daughters you know 11 9 and 7 and like seeing seeing them live into themselves and like i mean watching my 9 year old you know she just got recently diagnosed adhd and dyslexia and you know for me i you know finding i was i was diagnosed at 11 but the the parent Um, stigma back then was like bad parents medicate their kids. So my mom never even walked on that path. And, um, my nine-year-old got diagnosed. Like there was part of me like, oh my God. But then there was part of me to like, what would I have wanted when I was 11 that would have, and and we 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 now have a little sign that we flash each other um, from across the room. So if she's reading a book or she's forgetting something, you know, a lot like me, uh, we just flash the sign and it's to remind her she's not alone. Like, hey, you and daddy's brains work a little different. And so much so, like, I believe my oldest now has a little bit of jealousy that she's like, I wish my brain worked like yours and, and Kinsley's did, right? And and uh, while well, she walks to her own beat. And I guess for me, that's like the the lessons that have allowed me to come to the place that like, you know, we're figuring this out together. I'm figuring out, you know, my own um, mental health side of the house. But there's also something beautiful in the being able to see it through a dad's eyes, being able to see it in you know the eyes. And I will say the the lowest of low moments for me were were kind of opposite of like the high moments in my career in many ways. But the connection point in both of them were sticky notes in my in my house and in my room on my mirror that were things for my daughters, right? Like it was like, I remember like those days where it was high and low, like the idea, cause I think the comment I get a lot was like, you know, Brian, how do you stay humble or how do you keep grounded? These comments that come in and like, I don't ever feel like I have to, because I feel like that's the thread that has like allowed me to know, Hey, the high moments are enabling this and the low moments I need to get through this because like that is the piece. Right. And I, and I will say, of all the things, like my, my, my parents were freaking amazing. Like I'm very blessed to have such an amazing mom and dad. And, and the thing that I think that my dad instilled in me that I think still was the most important aspect was not that failure was a necessary part of success, because we hear that a lot, but it was actually his confidence in telling us, you know, my brothers and I, that you're a fanzo. You will never settle for failure. Failure is going to happen you are a fan you don't settle for that like you will get through it no matter how dark or how low it is and that is the reason why i can better myself that's the reason why i can lean into all these things that's the reason why all of this kind of came to light in my life because the failure sucks holy crap does it suck and sometimes we forget to say that part in that equation i love but, that but yeah that was the piece i re- like i just remember feeling like oh yeah i i, I don't knocked down like you know my dad was a boxing fan like you had Muhammad Ali wow. you had the Roberto Clementis all the world. like that was the that was the lesson that he always instilled was not that we have to fail not that failing was important or failing forward but that you are a fanzo and you're not going to fail you're not going to make wow. failure your, your end game and that's what, been a,
1: the big. what a great what a great way to end and close this out you are a fanzo <laughs> and uh, I I I'll say this um I was with your dad at your very the very first time he saw you speak, I believe at yep, Social Media World, I took a picture. I I took a picture with yeah. him and texted yep. to you, and I just saw the picture the other day because social media it would have happened this week that, at the time that we're recording this, and so it popped up as a memory, and I just had a huge smile on my face because of. Uh, because of what what he was, I was watching his face. I think more than I was watching you up on stage because I'd seen you speak before. So, but yeah. he was just he was just beaming. And so, anyway, Brian, um, I I don't even know how to how to close this out because this was just like was so absolutely wonderful and so incredible of you to share and open. And I know you're an open book. Um, but but what I was hoping for and what I think you just just did was to help a lot of people, including always myself, on the in between, and and that's what we wanted to share today. It was not the not the uh, the the stuff that's out there, but the in between stuff that we all go through, and the, the shifts. And in your in in your place, it's the forks in the road, and and uh, and and what I think I learned today from you is bet on yourself. That's, that's the takeaway. And, and, and for you, you're always a Fanzo. You'll never fail. (laughs) Uh, what a great way to close out. Thank you so much, my friend. I really appreciate you. I love you. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, really just dishonored. So
0: thanks. I love you too, Brian. And I tell you what, Brian, you are, um, you embody the human aspect of everybody. You know, I, I feel that I, every time I see you, every time we talk, every time I'm able to be a part of your world and, you know, uh, when they say, like you know, that you have your family and then you have the family that you choose, uh, I choose you every time, Mr. Kramer. And I'm thankful for your friendship, thankful for even these kind of conversations. Um, I'm, you, you've been a guiding light for me in many ways, uh, sometimes having to push, sometimes having to pull, and other ways, uh, being able to share the stages and, and microphones with you. And uh, I'm beyond thankful. So this was a lot of fun.
1: Hey, that's what friends are for. More to come. More to come. Yes, sir. All right. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks again, brother. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes. And if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time.